Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come together to fellowship around your word. We ask that your spirit will lead us and guide us as we, as we look at these verses and see what you would have us to see from them. In your son's name, amen. Deuteronomy chapter 26. Starting at verse 12. 26. When you have made an end of the tithing of all the tithes of your increase, the third year, which is the year of tithing, and have given unto the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that they may eat within your gates and be filled, then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have brought away the hallowed things out of my house and have given them unto the Levite and unto the stranger, to the fatherless, and to the widow, according to all that of your commandments which you have commanded me, I have not transgressed I, your commandments, neither have I forgotten them. I have not eaten thereof in my morning, neither have I taken a, aught, away aught thereof of any unclean use, nor given aught thereof for the dead. For, but I have hearkened unto the voice of the Lord my God, and have done according to all that you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the land which you give us as you swear unto our fathers a land that flows with milk and honey. So we're going to look at this. And if you remember, last week we were talking about the first fruits being given to God. And if you remember many, many months ago, maybe even a year ago when we were in, in Leviticus, or maybe two years ago at this point, when we were in Leviticus, he, said that he told them when they went into the land that they were not going to eat from the fruit trees for three years. All that was produced was to be given to God for the first three years. And it was because of the pollution of the land that he didn't want it to be consumed. It was to be given as a gift to God. And so this is what this is referring to, that three-year period where they weren't allowed to eat of the fruit trees. Now they're going to be able to eat of the grain and all that. But he says... When you have made an end of the tithing of all the tithes of the increase in the third year, the year of tithing, and you have given it to the Lord, the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, that, you may, that they may eat in your gardens and be filled. God's desire is for his people to take care of the poor, those that are in need. That is God's desire that they will be taken care of, in this case, by the Levites. The, the, the gifts were given to the Levites, and the people gave to the poor. And you see this all through the scriptures, people begging at the gates, begging at the doorsteps. And part of what they were to do was give money to those people who legitimately had need. Now, in our day and age, we have a lot of people that are begging that don't, don't have need. They're just begging. begging. And I'm sure it happened even in those days because there's nothing new under the sun. I'm sure there were people. But in a, the smaller the town, the smaller the area, the more you know the people... And the more likely you are to know, well, if, the, if I give to this person, they're going to waste it, or this person really has need. Which is one of the reasons it's, it's good for the church to be able to help the poor, because, and we've talked about this, the church would know, you know, is this guy needing help harvesting his fields because he's, you know, had some real serious injuries, he broke his leg and he just can't get out, or is he just a bum, sits on his, sits on his butt in the rocking chair all day long? And that person doesn't deserve help and doesn't, shouldn't get help as opposed to the person who is hurt and maybe long-term hurt. So God's saying the church was to do that. And he's told his people you were to always take care of them. And we've talked about this. When they harvested their field, they were not to glean the field. That was for the poor to come through and, 
and do some work and, and gather up. They were to leave the corner so that they had some good stuff to, to produce. Uh, they were to be taken care of. And God's telling them, you're to take care of them even in your giving. And take care of them and you look at who he lists. The stranger, the aliens in your land, the fatherless, the, the widow, uh, you know, those who are poor, the ones who are liter literally poor. Yes, Ruth is all about that. Yeah. Ruth is all about the whole idea of somebody taking care of the poor. And Ruth goes out, she's very industrious, she goes out to the fields like she's supposed to and gleans after them. And of course, Boaz, he, she catches Boaz's eyes and he goes, you know, hey, you guys let her, even if she's in the field working with you in the actual harvest area, you're not to rebuke her. I'm not sure that he told her that, but, you know, he made it clear that if she got a little too close to the workers, normally they say, get back there where you belong. And he's saying, if she accidentally gets in there amongst you, then you're not to rebuke her. So that was a beautiful story of the kinsman redeemer and the blessings of God and all of that. But this is what this is talking about. They are to be taken care of. The poor are to be taken care of. And God's saying, you're going to a land that is flowing so full to be generous. The implication of this is that you're helping those in need. The widow usually did not have money. Even in our day, the widow does not usually have money. And that day, it was even worse because she didn't, you couldn't go back to her family usually because she was usually too old to go back unless they had children to take care of her. I'm talking about adults. Adults should be able to go out and get a job. You're talking about the, the kids who are not, and the, and the widows who aren't able to go out. The, the widow who needs to be taking care of her kids can't go out and, and work. And the strangers are just aliens who aren't, aren't there. But again, it's not talking about the adults who just want to be lazy or anything. It's talking about those who are truly in need. And that's when he's talking about these. It's those who are in need. This is why when, when I was in, especially in Sacramento, the, our church was located in an area that had a lot of panhandlers. And most of our people came in from the suburbs. And they go, well, how do you know whether to give? I'm going, that's between you and God. I go, I know most of these people because I, I live here. I, I see the same people every day, and I know who I would give to and who I wouldn't give to. I go, but if you give to them under the right motivation that you're just giving to them, God's going to bless your gift to them, even if they are, you know, without need and just trying to gather a bunch of money. That's between them and God, and God will take care of them for their deceit. If you go in with the right attitude, God's going to bless you. Now, if you go in knowing that you shouldn't give somebody money and give them money, then God is going to say, well, you, you knew better. I didn't, I didn't give, tell you to do this. So here he's saying that you're going to take care of them, that they may eat and be filled. And then it says in verse 3, Then you shall say before the Lord, I have brought away the hallowed things out of my house and have given them to the Levite and to the stranger, to the fatherless, to the widow, according to all your commandments which you have commanded me. I have not transgressed your commandment. In other words, he's saying... I have given the full tithe and offerings that you have required. Okay? And this is what God requires. He requires obedience even more than the sacrifice itself. He wants the obedience to him. Now, what does that mean for each of us? And we need to just be obedient to what God tells us. If God tells you to give just a couple of dollars, you give a couple of dollars. If he's giving, telling you to give your life savings away, you give your life savings away. 
You remember when Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler and they came to him and said, good master? And he goes, well, who, who Jesus goes, well, who's good? There's none good except the son. And then he goes, well, how do I get, how do I get saved? And he goes, well, you know the commandments. And he gives a soft, you know, a couple of, you know, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall worship, you honor your father and mother. And he goes, I have done all these things since my youth. And Jesus gave him one more thing. He goes, go and sell all that you have. Now, many people read that and go, well, see, this is Jesus told the people to go sell all that they had. No, he told the rich young ruler to go and sell all that he had. Why? Because he was proving to the rich young ruler that he had an idol in his heart and it was his wealth. Because how did he do? He went away sad because he had much money. He didn't necessarily want him to give away all this stuff. He just wanted him to... In his case, he probably did want him to give it away. You know, but he might have been stood with just... Because many people will say they trust in God, and, but they trust in their money. Especially if they've got a good job and, and things, they trust in their money because they have enough money to buy whatever they want. Now, can God use the money? Yes, but if your trust is in that money, you've got a problem. Now, it's not wrong to have money. We don't know, I mean, when we start looking at what could have, you know, what have, could have, should have, you never know what God had in mind. We do know that, this, that he went away sad because he, real, you know, because he had much money, which showed that money was his God, not that was his idol. it was his idol. Paul said, I have learned to be content in much and in little because his contentment was in Christ. If your current contentment is in your money, you will be con almost content when you have money, but you'll never be content because you never have enough money if your contentment is in money. And if you lose it all, you'll be in total despair because your contentment was in your money that you don't have. It, but it really comes down to where is it? Money is, need, is good, not good, nor bad. Being poor or wealthy is not good or bad. Is it, is it your idol? Is it, what I, is it my whole focus? You know, so if, if I'm focused on God, it's, okay, God, you didn't give me the money, so you're going to provide for me. God, you've given me the money. I want to focus on you. Help me to stay focused on you and not on the money. But it, but it becomes a critical issue of if we think about the money as being the problem, and this gets you into the worldly thinking. It, you know, these poor people, there's no money. They, you know, they, they're, they're in despair. Well, no, it's not that they're in despair with no money because I've seen some very happy, very happy poor people. Because they've got, they're just content with whatever they have. And usually they've got God in their life. And I've seen some very, I've, I've met some very wealthy people who have no contentment whatsoever. They're never happy. They're never, never pleased. They don't have enough. They don't, somebody's got better stuff. They're very envious. So the money is nothing. And if you're chasing after money, you're chasing after the wrong thing. Because you chase after God and he'll give you whatever it is that you need to get by. The wealthy oftentimes have that trust. Do they like me because of what I can do for them or do they like me? Do they like me for what I can buy for them or do they like me? And this is where you were talking about losing their friends. They had money and then they lost their money and they lost their friends because they didn't have friends. But that's not the money that was the issue. It was the way you treated people and the money that was the issue. So again, money is not the issue ever on these things. Uh, because it is a symptom of what you are, not who or what your faith is. And we want to be very careful with that. Money is good when used correctly. But if you're trying to strive to get more and more and you, you, know, you never have enough. I can't remember which rich guy said that, but he asked him how much money, how much money do you need? He goes a little bit more. All right, verse 14. I, 
I have not eaten thereof in my morning, neither have I taken away aught that of any unclean use, nor given aught thereof for the dead, but I have hearkened to the voice of the Lord and have done according to all that you have commanded me. So here he's saying, I have not eaten anything because of my sorrow. Now how many times, and this is, I'm hating sticking on tithing, but this is literally talking about tithing. But I have met so many people, and I've even done it myself in the past. I needed the money, so I kept the tithe back, and I used it on myself. And that's what he's saying. I have not kept back anything because of my need, my sorrow. Now, I haven't done that very often in my lifetime, but I have done it. I'm, you know, in, in when I was younger, and I'm going, I've learned it's not worth doing. Not, and he doesn't want it because he needs it. He wants us so that we learn obedience and trust. And this is what it all comes down to, and this goes back to what we were just discussing. What is our trust in? Do I trust God or do I trust my stuff? Now, and there are many people who are trusting their 401k and the government's social security and their pension plan and all these things, and there's nothing wrong with those things. But we also have to keep in mind that my trust is not in those. The economy could fall out of the bottom could fall out of the economy tomorrow and all of those investments all of that money that you've got set aside for your retirement can go away. If your trust is in those things you're going to be devastated when that happens. If your trust is in God, it's going to be God, I don't, you know, all my planning went out the window, now it's all you. But you know that's also a good place to be at times. Sometimes it is a good thing to be fully trusting on God and going, God, okay, God, how are you going to get us, how are you going to get us out of this problem, God? And is that an easy thing to do? No, it's very hard sometimes to do. To say, God, uh, I don't know how you're going to do this, but this is yours. And I shared with you when I, before, before, well, I was on the car, but, but when, I, when I lost my job between the last job when I first got here and the job I just got, there would be many months where, where I would get the bills together. We'd pay the bills that we had money to pay. And I literally would say, okay, God, hold the bills out to God. I'm going, okay, God, here's, here's your bills to take care of. I have, I have taken care of all the bills that I have money for, and these are yours. And I've said over and over again how he would bless with some way of filling those bills. I learned a lot of trust over those three years. A lot of trust I would never have learned any other way but to be put in a position where I had to trust him because the budget was built on a lot higher money than we were having. And even though we cut out everything we could, the budget was still higher than we were making. But it was, okay, God, we've cut everything we can. We've done everything we can. We've paid all the bills we can. Give me the jobs to work. Give me whatever it takes. But learning to have trust in God. How do we get that? Only one way to get that, and that's to be put in a place where you have to trust him. And we see this over and over again in our life. God, I don't know how we're going to get by, and God says, I've got it. I've got it all under control. And he shows you and he teaches you. And the more he teaches you, the more you learn to have faith and confidence in him. And the more confidence in him, the bigger problems he sends your way to give you to help take you into further, further uh, tests. But this is what happens with us. We learn to trust him. And that word is how, how you divide that between um, your skills, like you know, applying your skills, whatever skills you have, as opposed to uh, 
as I said, the balance of that was when God pre presented a job, put a job in front of me, I did the job. And when I was saying, God, these are your bills, there would be many times when I'd get a call up, you know, hey, I need you to do, you know, I need this fixed on my computer. Can you do this? Can you do that? And I would go out and I'd make $50, $100, here or there. Sometimes God would just give a gift, but usually, most of the time, it was he provided a job. Now, if I had said, no, God, I don't, you know, you know no, I don't need that job. God's going to provide for me. God would have then told me, I, already, I tried to provide for you. You know, it's the story of the guy that's outside of a flood and he's praying, God, help me. And, and the guy comes up, you know, just before the water's very high and ready to take him out in the truck. No, God's going to help me. And the guy comes along in a canoe. Come on in. We'll get you out of here. No, nope, God's going to help me. Motorboat comes out and he's sitting on the roof. No, God's going to help me. You know, he's, the water's covering the roof and he's just barely standing. A helicopter comes. No, God's going to help me. He gets to heaven and goes, God, why didn't you help me? Well, he goes, send a car, a canoe, a, a motorboat, and a, and a helicopter, and you didn't take any of them. Okay, when God provides something, we need to grab hold of do it and do the best we can. Now, does that mean sometimes we'll do things that maybe we shouldn't have done? That's a possibility. But when we get presented with a way to fill that need, we take the advantage of that way to fill the need. And that means sometimes we work hard, you know, to get the money that God's going to give us. Sometimes it can just be a gift. And I had plenty of those over the four years where God just, is, just sent a gift my way. Most of the time, though, it was I had to get up out of the, off the couch, out of, my, out of my house, and do work. So it says, I haven't taken anything in my morning. I haven't used anything for unclean uses or wasted, and basically that means wasted money. And this is something we all have to look at. How much time, how much money do we waste? And when you're in a place where you're looking at God saying, God, I need help, and he's looking at you and saying, uh, how about if you cut this out, this out, this out, and this out, <laughs> and... This is what I would do in benevolence when we would help in families with benevolence. I go, well, we, we need uh, money. And we look at them and you go, well, you've got two cars and three, three motorcycles and, you know, and this and that. Go sell some of your stuff. Well, no, I can't sell my stuff. Well, then you don't need the help from us. You know, you get somebody and I, I had, a, had a family that really did need help, but I watched them in their groceries one time and they had six cases of uh, soda in their, in, their, in, their, in their groceries and all of this other stuff. And I'm going... Okay, that six cases of grocery was the cat food that you, that you need at the end of the month and the, and the cat litter and all these other things, and you blew it on your soda. So when we're in a place, we're not wasting it. We're not using it for unclean things. We go, God, what, a, can, I, what can I cut out that I don't need? And then it says, and you give it, and nor have you given aught for the dead, and this is giving sacrifices for, for, the, for the dead. Uh, this is a big thing in most idolatry worship has some aspect of giving to the dead. Giving money for, for to get your lost, lost souls into, into heaven. Catholic Church did that in the Middle Ages, sold indulgences. You could buy them for the people who are already dead. You could buy them for yourself. If you had enough money, you could buy your freedom from the church. Just pray for the departed. I wouldn't even pray for the departed. It's too late. Once they're dead, they're... When we are alive, we are making our decision for eternity. The moment we die, our decision for eternity is, has been made. If we are, if we've accepted Jesus Christ and as our Lord and Savior, we are going to heaven. If we've rejected him, we're going to hell. And no amount of praying for them or giving gifts for them or anything else is going to change where they're at. They're not going into a purgatory where they're going to be suffering for a thousand years and going into heaven after they've suffered enough. They're either going to heaven or they're going to hell. 
No in-between state, no praying them out of and buying them out of the, the one or the other. God asks us to give to him and he asks for us to be generous to him, but he doesn't need our money. It's literally just to show us, show our trust to him. And then the more you give, the more, you, you know, when, you're, when God says give more and you give more and, you, and you're showing your trust saying, God, I trust you. I'm putting my trust in you. There's a statement that goes, is out there, you can't outgive God. And the more I give to God, the more I realize he can't outgive God. And every once in a while, he goes, okay, you believe that? Prove it. <laughs> you know, and I don't, we don't advertise what we give, but we give much more than the tithe <laughs> ourselves and have for a while. But it's because God has kept challenging me. How much do you trust me? And even when I was broke, we were doing much more than the tithe. It, it wasn't a whole lot of money, <laughs> but it was much more than the tithe. Because I'm going, God, you're, you're, you're my one I put my trust in. And it's not for everybody. It's something you need to learn to grow into. You know, again, when I share these things with people, don't take me wrong. I'm, I've been walking with God for 45 years now. It's, it's, it's becoming easier and easier to do these type of things because I've had a long time to experience that practice. Not one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is giving. It is a gift. We're all expected to give, but some people literally have a gift of giving. They would give you the shirt off their back and they don't care about anything at all. But it's amazing to find those people, and I've met a few people like that that will just give you. A lot of people mistake my kindness as weakness. Well, that's, between, that's because that's, to the world it is weakness. But all we can do is put it in God's hands. Yes, I mean, and I've met people like that, and, and they get very blessed back from God because they'll, they literally give you the last dollar in their pocket. They will give you money that is supposed to go for other bills. And they actually need somebody sometimes to temper them, you know, be married to somebody that can temper them to that maybe do, you know, go the other direction and say, okay, no, we're not giving the rent money away to, to this person. That rent money's due tomorrow because the, the person who is gifted to give will give away everything, you know, including their house and their car and whatever if the, God, if the right person came along. And there's a place for that. There is a place for that gift. There's a place for somebody who's generous. There's a place for that need. There's also a place to be looking at it and saying, okay, is this helping somebody? Is it good for somebody? And both are, both are very important for them. And then he says, but I have hearkened to the voice of, my, of the Lord my God and have done it according to all that he has commanded me. Now this is a statement that they never ever were able to make. Certain individuals were, but very few of the Israelites were ever able to say, I have done according to God's laws and rules. We're gonna get into the book of Joshua. They never take the entire inheritance and many of the tribes do not conquer their, the land that was given to them. They don't destroy every uh, person that was in that land. They don't destroy all the Jebusites, the, the Hittites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and all these otherites that were in that land. They didn't get rid of all of them. Then they're going to come back and haunt them in, in the book of Judges where they start doing what's right in their own eyes, following after the people that they didn't get rid of and God judges them. And that's going to be the cycle that they have all the way through until they're sent into captivity. And they still have the same problems to this day where they're not separating themselves. But it says, you've, you've obeyed, I've, I've done what you've got, God. Then, then his request, look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the land which you have given us and sworn to our fathers a land that flows with milk and honey. So God, I've been obedient. Give me the blessing 
and look at this, and bless the land. America was started on the right principles, godly principles. Now, I'm not going to say everything was Christian, but they were started on Christian principles. And God has blessed this country in major ways over the years with great blessings and great, great protections. And as we're starting to get further and further away from God as a nation, we're starting to see those blessings being pulled away. We're starting to see crop failures like we've never seen before. We're starting to see weather patterns that if you look at the Indian legends have always existed until the time that the white settlers came in and started this country on a Christian basis and the weather was protected because God protected this country. And you look back into the old Indian thing, legends from five, six, seven hundred years ago, and they talk about floods and tsunamis and snowstorms and all kinds of weather that was devastating to the, to the land. And we're starting to see those kind of things happening. And I really believe it's because we were rejecting God and God's lifting his hand to protection from us. He is the God of nature. He is the God of, of, of all of that goes on. And as we start rejecting him, he's going to lift off his protection. And we're going to see things get worse. Even though Christians aren't doing our job to pray for their country the way we need to be. But even in Israel, when God judged Israel and sent them into captivity, there were good uh, Jewish you know, followers of God. Daniel's a great example, and he went in the first wave of captivity to be made into a eunuch and a servant of, the, of, the, of King Nebuchadnezzar. So yes, bad things still happen to us as Christians. Now, if this country was to have a great revival and turn back to God, we could see great, great blessings return. And we see this all through the scriptures. When Israel followed God, God blessed them by protection, by nature, by pro, pro, uh, pr production in their crops, everything was blessed all the way across the board. And if you reject God as a nation, you get the blessings taken away. Verse, six, uh, verse 15, you know, that God bless us. And we really want to keep in mind, God's blessings are so full and so broad. And sometimes we try to look at his blessings and say, God, if you don't bless me in this way, you're not blessing me. And this is something we want to be, be looking at. Many times God blesses by getting you the good deal that you wouldn't have gotten normally. Now, how many times have you gone in, the, you've been honoring God, and you go into a store, and all of a sudden you find this really wonderful deal on, on the item that you really wanted or really love? You know, the food that you love is on sale. And you can go in and you go, and you can go God, thank you. I get, I get to have something I, I really want. Uh, you plant your, if you're a gardener or something, and all of a sudden your, your garden really produces and more than you can handle, and you're, you're having to give it away to other people because God's blessed you in, with so much beyond. God's blessings can be so much more than we contemplate. And it doesn't have to be just financial. He can give you the blessing of just being at peace with everything. And, and I understand that one because I am almost always at peace with what's going on around me. Because that's a blessing that I take from God, and I take it very serious that God allows me to just be at peace. And it's a wonderful feeling to be at peace and not be concerned about all the problems that are going on around me. And I don't spend a lot of time, if you know me very well, you know I don't spend a lot of time worrying about how to get past this, what's going to happen, what's going to happen. And I encourage other people, don't worry. 
You know, God is in control. But again, where is our level of trust with God? If we fully trust that God is in control, then I don't have to worry about what's coming my way because I say, God, you've got it under control. The real test comes in when something really bad seems to be going on and going, okay, <laughs> am I going to worry about it or am I going to trust? And I can't say that I never worry, but I don't worry very often. And usually my answer to God goes, God, I don't understand this, but you're in control. I want you to, I want to trust in you. And in Peter, he tells us, cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. He cares for us. And the more we truly believe that, the easier it is to cast our cares upon him. And, and it can be as simple as, like I, like I tell you, I say many times, God, I don't understand this, but you're in control. That's a great way to be. You don't have to understand what he's doing. You just have to be willing to trust him. Because there's going to be many times it's not going to make sense to you what God does. Why? My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are greater than your thoughts. God's thoughts are going to be higher than us. His ways are going to be higher than us. And we are not going to understand everything that God's going our way. But the statement that we gave many, many years ago now, God's will is what I would choose if I knew everything. We need to have faith that God knows everything and what he's sending our way is the perfect thing to have come our way. Even when it seems like it's hell on earth, it's God's perfect will. And then we, well, if we knew everything, we'd know why he was allowing it to happen. And we just have to be, okay, God, don't understand it. You're in control. Too many people spend too much time trying to figure out why God does things. Just can't think about it. It's totally irrelevant why God does something. He is good, and God is good, and all the time, God is good. We need to keep that in mind in every situation. God is always going to be good, and everything he allows come our way will be good because he is good, and he has no ill intention for us. He's not out there trying to beat us up and make us feel bad. He is doing what is good for us always. Even when we don't understand it, even when it doesn't look like it, if we are his children, it is for good and God is good and allowing only good to happen to us, even when we think it's bad. Even when we look at it and say, God, there is no way that this event is, is, good, for, is good. And God said, I have a plan. It's good. I have a plan for you. It is good. Not the event, but the plan that God has is always good. Because it is not good to lose a child. It is not good to have you know, pain and suffering in your life as an individual item. But God has a plan on how he will work it for good. And his plan is always good. Always good. Even if we don't understand it, his plan is good. Verse 16. This, is the day, this day the Lord your God has commanded you to do these statutes and judgments. You shall therefore keep and do them with all your heart and all your soul. You have avouched the Lord this day to be your God and to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and to hearken unto his voice. And the Lord has avouched you this day to be a peculiar people as he hath promised you and that you should keep all of his commandments and make you high above all nations which he hath made in praise and in name and in honor, and that you may be a holy people unto the Lord your God as he has spoken. So here Moses is now exhorting the people. He goes, this day the Lord has commanded you, 
all these rules, and you shall therefore keep to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. One of the things that God is looking for in obedience is not just being obedient. Okay, there's a old old story about a you know, little boy being punished, and he sat down in the chair, and he, and he looks at his parents and goes, "Well, I may be sitting in this chair, but in my mind, I'm running around." You know, he's he's not being obe- he's being obedient, but he is not really being obedient. And here, Moses is saying that you're going to be you need to be obedient with all your heart. And with all your soul, everything about us needs to be obedient. We can't be going, God, I'm going to do this because you said so, but I really don't want to. If that's your attitude, don't be obedient in that area. If if you're saying, God, I'm going to give you these tithes and offerings and I'm just going to do it because you say I'm supposed to, don't give him because he doesn't need your money that much. Give it because you want to give it. God, I'm going to be obedient and not do this because... I really want to give you that honor. Now, there's consequences for being disobedient anyway, but, but there's also going to be, if you're given for the wrong reasons, the consequences are still going to be there. You're not, given for the right, you're not doing for the right reason. And this is what I keep saying. When you're obedient and trying to be kind to your parents, are you doing it so your parents love you more, or are you doing it just because you love your parents and you want to show them your love for them? Our obedience from the heart and soul is to show God that we just want to honor him. Now, I'm not being obedient because I'm afraid I'm going to get smacked upside the head. I'm not being obedient because I'm afraid of, the, of what will happen if I disobey. I'm being obedient because I love you, God. I want to express my love toward you in my obedience. And that comes from a long process of God changing our heart. And it takes sometimes a long time. Some people learn things really quick and easy, and it's amazing to me when I watch people who learn things quick and easy. I was never one of those that learned things quick and easy. I was very stubborn, very hard-headed, and God had to pound me over the head many times for my disobedience. But eventually I would go, God, I just love you. I want to, I want to be obedient. And then he goes in verse 17, You have avouched. And avouched means that you have proclaimed, acknowledged, assumed, the Lord this day, your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and to hearken unto his voice. And basically, he's telling the people, you have said you will obey God. This goes all the way back to the very beginning of this, of this book, all the way back to the beginning of Exodus. When they say, we will do all that God has told us to do. They said it in Exodus, they said it in Numbers, they said it in Leviticus, and they never meant it. <laughs> They probably meant it in the heat of the moment, but they never meant that they were going to be obedient to God. And Moses is here telling them, you have agreed that you're going to be obedient to God. You have made that promise. And that's what a vouch means. You have promised that you're going to be obedient to God. When we come to Christ, we're making an agreement with him that we are going to be obedient. We're going to serve him. We are going to be his bond slave. And we've talked about the bond slave. Bond slave is a person who has voluntarily placed himself into slavery to an individual for the rest of their life. And in the case of Christianity, that means we're going to be a bond slave for an awfully long time because that goes into eternity. We are his bond slave for all of our life, and our life is eternal life. So we have a long time to be his slave. And you know what? Being his slave is a good thing. <laughs> it's good to be God's slave. And then it says, and I love this in verse 18. And the Lord has avouched you this day. God has promised you. And what was his promise? 
that you will be his peculiar people. Now, peculiar does not mean strange, okay? It does in our day and age, but in the New Testament, in the, in the King James, peculiar means to be a special or treasured thing, okay? It does not mean to be strange, but it is to be a... And so we are his treasured people. Yeah, the newer versions say treasured. No, that's because you have a King James, right? Yeah, special or special or treasured. Treasured is actually stronger, stronger to treasured possession. Peculiar is treasured possession. In the in the old English, in the old English, is a treasured possession. It is, it is beyond your normal items. It was peculiar. It was something you would put into a very special place to be a place of honor. So God has promised that they would be his treasured people as he has promised them and that he and that you should keep his commandments. The rest of his promises and to make you high above all nations, to make you special. And this is going to happen. The only time it has really happened in their life in the, in the existence of Israel is when David and Solomon ruled and they actually ruled under Solomon they actually ruled all the land that they were supposed to be given under uh, Abraham's covenant where Abraham walked. It's the only time in their history that they have had all their land is under Solomon. And he, has, and he hath made in praise to be, uh, to be publicly adored and have fame and glory and in name, and we talked about that, name is reputation, and in honor, and that is beauty, splendor, renown, and, you, and that you may be a holy people unto the Lord your God as he has spoken. God's desire, and this is his desire for us as Christians, that we will be lifted up in praise, in honor, in renown. We're promised that we would stand before kings and princes, and this is not everybody, but people who honor God oftentimes find themselves put before rulers that they would never expect. Lots of missionaries have had this happen where they've gone out and done things and gotten great honor. Churches have gotten great honor for helping the poor. Not that they wanted the honor, but God has said, here, I'm, you've honored me, I'm going to honor you. And it helps build his kingdom and his testimony when it's done right. The key to this is when we are given honor, we point back to God and say, God is the one that's doing this. God is the one that gets the glory. Because we're, the honor is designed to lift him up. That he gets the praise. He gets the, the glory. And he is wanting that praise and glory so that he is lifted up and then he will draw people to him and the kingdom will be built up by, getting, by your getting honor and pointing that honor back to him. Israel never really did that. They took their glory to themselves and, and misused it. And they were judged because of that as well. They never really pointed back to God. Their whole job was to, to bring the world to God and all they did was put this little big wall around them and saying, it's us and nobody else. You know, if you don't, you don't, you know, we're not going out there with the gospel. And the sad thing is there's many churches that do just that. Yeah. It's us and no more. You know, if you're not one of us, you're not, you know, we don't care. And God's saying, no, you bring the world and bring the gospel to the world and bring them into the kingdom of God. And I've seen many churches that have come to this place where they don't try to reach out to the world. They don't. They're just real happy with what they've got. You know, our little group, 
And we're going to die out because we're not reaching anybody, but we're going to, it's going to be just our little group because we can't contaminate ourselves with the world. Every religion out there that isn't truly biblical Christianity, and I'm going to say there are many Christian, quote-unquote, churches that are teaching do more good than bad and you're to get to earn heaven. The Bible is the only thing that teaches that you can't do enough good to please God. One sin is all it takes to go to hell and we need Jesus Christ to be able to go to heaven. That's what separates Christianity from every other religion and including all those Christian churches that aren't following the Bible. And they probably aren't Christian churches even though they have a Christian name on their church. Because if, you can't, if you're not going to believe the Bible, you're really not Christian. And you may have Methodist or Baptist or, or Pentecostal or Assembly of God or whatever, but if you're not believing the Bible and putting your whole faith in Jesus Christ, it doesn't really matter what that name is. You're not a Christian church. And you've got to be able to say, this is what it means to be saved, following Jesus Christ, period. Having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And anything else that you're putting any hope in, we can't do enough good to, to please God. We cannot do anything to earn heaven, period. You could be the best person in the world, but if you made one sin, and nobody's ever made just one sin, but let's say you were the best person and you only made one sin in your entire life. You told a lie. The only thing you ever did wrong, you told one lie, you'd go to hell. This is how serious God is with perfection. We need to understand that because that will change the way we think about ourselves and others and be able to say, God, it is so critical that we get out and we share the gospel and accept the gospel because the only way to heaven is Jesus Christ's sacrifice, period. And there's a lot of people going, well, I don't like that idea. Well, it doesn't really matter what you like because this is God's idea. And because some people may think they just believe in God and not Jesus, but that's not going to do you have to, like you said, you have to go to the to me before you do You've got to go all the way, all the way, and it's Jesus That's Christ's right. sacrifice. And it's the blood of Christ that gives us the forgiveness, and it's his resurrection that gives us our victory. And he says, I'm going to indwell you, and I'm going to change who you are to make you my child. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love us and care for us. We ask that you go with us as we go about our business in the, over the next couple days and give us many opportunities to share you with others. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.